You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 27. Steam Tales. From the Journal of Agent Jeremy Pines. Over the next ten days as we crossed 240 miles south towards Jackson, Mississippi... I experienced one of the most thrilling and happy passages of my entire life. I took the journal Donald had given me, only a few pages in with fresh information on the wind doors, and began to fill it up entirely. I sat with Rao and Miguel in the rear carriage, asking every question I could, jotting down notes in a rough ledger before compiling them in readable form each evening. I learned her tribal background, what history of her land she could tell me, the geography of Rama, their various sentient advanced feline species, their customs, their hunting, their rituals, their pantheon of gods. They have one for each of our elements. Earth Jaguar, who brings trees and plants to the land. The Leopard of Water, who brings the rains and winter season. Air Cheetah, who is of the wind. And then there is uh, the Fire Lion, god of the sun. And what's he like? Oh, he's like a lion, but he's on fire. Is he the one in charge? He sounds like Jesus in cat form. With a little Apollo and Ra mixed in. And Huitzilipochtli. From the Aztecs, right! I was once again impressed with the boy's insight. Only he's not their war god. He's more about just making sure the sun rises each day and brings warmth and life. And in the evening? Dark Panther. Though the cats sleep through the day and stay up all night. So their lives are actually more governed by this one. And his wife is the Tiger of Light, who is their moon. So, like a yin-yang. Seeing his puzzlement, I drew the general shape and pointed with my pen to the white circle swathed in darkness. Both Rao and Miguel looked at it and nodded. Rao said something in their sign language, and Miguel translated. She says men are a little bit more like cats than she suspected tell her we probably have even more in common. Over time, Miguel recounted the entire tale of how he had wound up in Memphis, his journey through into Rama and what he and Hrao did there. Hrao stayed quiet to begin with, but then began to ask what was being said and went from fact-checking to describing an intricate detail, her part and perspective on proceedings. Fairly soon, a crowd was forming as the rest of Team Steam were craning their necks through the door to earwig this saga. It got to the point where Harry and Butler were taking turns in the pilot seat just so the other could listen in. Raven and I both made copious notes and eventually began to plan out a complete narrative version of this, delivering the story from not only Miguel and Harau's perspective, but the shaman, Haka, who became their pursuer. Harau. The healer, Penrose, comes to me on our second day among these new companions. He's still apologizing for our way home being barred. It seems like Abigail, the gray woman with one eye who shares his power, has learned how to close the doorways, but he is unable to unlock the secrets of opening them. I wish I were wise in such spiritual arts like the Silent One or even Haka, but even as a hunter I have ways of accessing different levels of thinking, of moving, I take him to the woods and we sit for a time, meditating, attempting to focus and feel the worlds around him. 
I watched the man. His remaining eye closed, straining at the boundaries of spirit's fabric, to no avail. His blue-crafted clothing reminds me of another healer, another doctor named Shira, as does his candor, which makes him easy to like and trust. He is respectful of Miguel and I, and while his scents indicate nervousness and excitement around us, he remains refined and polite. The tasks in life he has set himself working closely to mend damaged flesh require keen eyesight, so I have more respect for one who continues with that key sense diminished. He asks my cub what he knows about the boat that housed the portal to Rama. Miguel recounts his theory on the thieves who resided there, and their savage conflict over this treasure leading to their violent ends. He then goes on to detail his sickness over the first few nights in my world. All three of us draw parallels with my own sickness upon entering this place. Penrose says, after some difficulty in translation, There are tiny creatures hidden in our world. Where? I ask. He waves his paw pad, his finger, around in the air. They are too small to see, but they are everywhere, and some are very dangerous. You cannot fight them alone. They... They will dance around your clothes. How can we fight them? The doctor goes through many words with Miguel, who is attempting to make sense of this. Eventually, Miguel simplifies it. He says we have little warriors already inside us who will defend our bodies. Sometimes when they know their enemy, they can defeat them more easily. I understand. You are... Little warriors were weak at first to the tiny creatures of Rama, but grew strong. Like yours, here. Miguel nods. We are both lucky to be alive now. Then Penrose asks if he can inspect my body. I trust him and understand the medical foundation of his curiosity. He is not a specialist in anything approaching my species, but he can find elements of the way my muscles and bones grow that are similar to his own kind. Miguel has told me about the tigers of his world, how they are uncomplicated and focused only on hunting, mating, and maintaining territory, much like my ancestors. We agree together that my physiology, as Penrose calls it, lies partway between his kind and these basic tigers. I am not sure that I love that comparison. This means, he says after he has finished his examination, that if you are injured, I might be able to help you, or I might not. We may one day find a big cat doctor to teach us both, but it is very unlikely in this country. Please look after yourself in these lands. Try not to come to harm. I do not try to come to harm most days. Yeah, well, obviously. He responds and says several things to Miguel I do not understand, but I gather I must not be humorous about this. Then I ask the question that has been bothering me the most recently. Your terror men. If they bite me, will it? Will it take my mind? This makes him agitated, and he goes back and forth with Miguel again for some time. Their bite contains very powerful, tiny creatures. He says eventually. From another world again. Our little warriors are 
nearly always defeated. I do not know whether yours will be. I shudder to think of what I would become should my warriors fail. Miguel, it is today. The afternoon is hot. A sleepy haze has descended and our minds are less sharp. I ask Carrie Arlington about how she came up with the idea for Steamheart. She rests her back against one of the enormous black wheels and pats the tough rubber surface with her fingertips as we sit side by side. I was part of what my dad called an engineering brain trust. She confides. It was just after we got Washington back. So I was just turning 17 and uh, I was introduced to two fellows named Tesla and Edison. They were talking about, about new power sources beyond just burning coal. I remember my mom told me to listen as much as I could and only say something when the idea was fully formed because they needed to see how smart I was. People think I'm dumb when I'm forming ideas out loud. I never think you're dumb. I interject. You can see the cleverness in your eyes. These people just don't know how to look. They should be more patient with me when what I have to say is probably going to help them. Everyone always seems in a hurry, even though they're going so slow. Anyway, <laughs> that uh, that meeting didn't didn't work out too well to begin with. My words got mixed up, and and I, I think while we were talking, I I went inside my mind. I had seen this happen with Harry already, and I could imagine the reactions of powerful men to this strange, waking sleep. Dad was... Dad was pretty fierce with Mr. Edison. Took him... Took him out to the corridor, and, and I came back to talking speed when, when I heard him out there shouting. Don't know what he said, but... When they came back, Mr. Edison was as nice as pie. He listened. Your father fought for you. That's right. Her face is falling. He's gone now. Both of them are. But they got me to a place where I could express what was in my head. That was the important thing. And, and that afternoon... I talked with these men about about carts that could move without horses and, and bear heavy loads. And, and we hit on the various uses people would get out of them. And, and by the next week, we were all working on a prototype together. And, and we were a team. Off to the races, is what Mr. Edison says. He also says, Opportunity is missed by most people because... Because it's dressed in overalls and, and looks like work. I always feel like he's talking about me. But most of the things he says seems to, seem to boil down to just trying different things and, and failing 10,000 times. Her expression has grown more intense. Her unfocused eyes suggest she is somewhere else now. I remember that first period. There was... 
There was this man who used to used to help me out. Fetch me things like kinda like Jeremy does now. Her brow furrows. Benjamin. That was his name. He He was my assistant for a while. Until until Dad caught him stealing my plans for the Vox tube. I didn't see Benjamin after that. And uh then Dad asked Mr. Tesla if he'd take care of me while I was in the workshop. I can see why trust would be important to your family. What else did you make while you were there? We got the plans back, so I made the Vox tube, like like Mr. Raven uses. She says, now counting on her fingers. Um, Mr. Tesla developed electric lights. I came up with a voice amplification system. You know, for, for talking to big crowds. And, and Mr. Edison got the idea for our internal telephone system from a Hungarian technician named uh, uh, Tivadar Puskas. I, I think that's how it's said. So uh, he made sure that happened. Telephone? Oh, <laughs> you talk into a little cone, and uh, they can hear you on the other side of the building. And this is back at Langley, where you started this journey. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. She smiles. If you like Steamheart, you're going to love it back there. Maybe you could visit, but before you go back to the cat world. I got all sorts of works in progress to show off. Up until we had met these new companions, I had been feeling my anchors to this world drop away, and the pull back to Rama growing stronger. Now, for the first time since I left my father's house, I feel powerfully drawn in two directions at once. It is, surprisingly, not altogether unpleasant to be experiencing this. I would dearly like that. I admit. Annie. Harau's account of her life really got to me. The child she lost, and her obsessive compulsion to throw herself into work that it brought on. I understood that. And it's made me reflect on Butler and I. Since before we were married, we've never shied off the physical act of making babies. That's for damn sure. And we've always told ourselves that when the right time comes, we will, like Tabitha has just done, bring a child into the world and, and hopefully make it a better place for their presence. Maybe five or six if there's a call for them. But after several years of not really trying and never really talking about why it isn't happening, I kind of have to admit to myself that we just don't seem like we're meant to. Maybe it will spontaneously happen someday. But I'm not going to feel like I'm any less of a woman if it doesn't. Neither is he any less of a man. Besides which, there's thousands of orphans out there who could use a good mother and father. I reckon we're more than up to that task. How this tiger, this mother has so entirely embraced a child, not of her own kind, makes my heart burst. 
not simply because she loves him like he's her own. I can see her nudging Miguel out into the world, letting him be his own young man rather than frantically protecting him. Considering what happened to her first, that's real progress. Her story made me cry. Harry cried. Jeremy got choked up and had trouble asking further questions. Butler got that pained expression on his face. James and Raven went all quiet and grave. The only person who didn't shed a tear was Abigail. She wasn't facetious or disrespectful to her owl. She didn't interrupt the story with snide remarks. She just kind of looked blank. This made me think back to James telling me she can't cry at all. And with this tale so powerfully affecting everyone else. I think he may be right. By the time Miguel finished telling us about their encounters with human hunters in the woods outside Memphis, one thing that was pricking at the back of my mind was Harau's mother. She just seemed to disappear from her side of the story without, without further mention. Has she, uh, gone with the father of passing? I asked as tactfully as I could. Miguel translated for me as the cabin full of interested listeners sat up. Harau nodded sadly and spoke slowly in English words. My mother fell. She mimed along with this, using her paws. From tall treetops. Strange for cat people. I'm so sorry. How, how old were you? Asked Harry. Little. Mm, cub. At this information, which made Harry hide her face in Abigail's shoulder, Gray surveyed the assembled group. Anybody here with a mother who ain't dead or missing, raise your hand. She wasn't joking, so I did not reprimand her. Miguel started to raise his hand. Birth mother. Abigail qualified. He nodded solemnly and, and lowered it. Butler put up his hand, as I knew he would. She settled in North Carolina. He admitted. Looks after the library there. I still see her from time to time. Abigail nodded at this and continued. Anybody got a daddy ain't dead or missing presumed dead. Miguel translated and only her out put her paw up. I looked directly at Miguel and he slowly folded his arms, avoiding my gaze. Do you miss her? Abigail asked of her out. I remember little. She is a dream. You have a good father, though, I say. Proud nods. He is kind. Mm. Fixes. Listens. These days have made orphans of most of us. Abigail muttered. I caught Miguel with a look before he could express that. Proud. Our mothers and fathers are dreams, too. She understood this and gave a great cat sigh. I glanced back at Miguel, who nodded, gratitude in his eyes.
have been listening to episode 27 of Steamheart, Steam Tales, written and directed by Alexander Shaw, Rao, performed by Maureen Foley, Annie Oakley and Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor, Miguel and James, performed by Alex Shaw, Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle, Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw, Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb, Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including Weirder Things, Steampunk Airship, Secret Garden, and A Solemn Vow by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Joe Gasiga, Greg Doge, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Dr. Shearer was, at that exact point, tending to injured, freed prisoners back in Harau's version of England. There were actually an alarming level of similarities between her and Dr. Penrose. Both had uncomfortable, unresolved relationships with their fathers. Both tended to doubt themselves and use humour as a defence and distraction. Both felt a great need to do something far beyond their station and both of them kept their most vulnerable side secret from the world, showing it only to those whom they allowed to grow very close. <laughs>